nearly nine years ago, the San Jose copper gold mine in northern Chile collapsed. And 33 miners went missing. Do you remember? I thought, oh, I didn't expect a response. We're, we're sitting in tables, we're responding, this is great. After nearly three weeks, any hope for survivors had been extinguished. But on day 19, rescuers found a note. It read, all 33 of us are safe in the shelter. 50 days after that note was found, after spending 69 days trapped half a mile underground, all of the miners were rescued. It was incredible. A billion people watched worldwide. But what happened afterwards? Well, in the immediate aftermath, a local businessman gave each of the miners a Kawasaki motorbike and 10 grand. Not bad. They were guests of honour on American chat shows. They got an all-expenses-paid trip for them and their families to Disney World and also an all-inclusive Greek island cruise. A movie was made about them starring Antonio Banderas. You might have seen it. And they even got invited to a Manchester United game. Although, considering all they'd been through, that seems a bit much to me. (laughs) But all that soon died down. On the fifth anniversary of the mine's collapse, one newspaper article said this. For the miners, now, there are simply degrees of bad. All are as poor as they were before, They have been exploited and then abandoned, but by the mine operators who have escaped all blame for the disaster, by the politicians who used the rescue operation to bolster their own popularity, and by lawyers who advised the miners badly and cheated them out of the rights to their story and millions of dollars. Mario Sepulveda was one of the miners. He he was so irrepressibly positive during those 69 days underground that he was nicknamed Super Mario. This is what he said after. People saw the pictures of the rescue and they thought our hell was over. In fact, it was just beginning. This morning in Jonah chapter 2, we get to see what Jonah was thinking while he was trapped. Not inside a mine, but inside a fish. But here's the question that the passage is asking. What will Jonah's rescue cause him to do? What will be the aftermath of this incredible experience? This chapter sets up the rest of Jonah for us. Will it be transformative for him? Not in terms of his finances, but in terms of his heart. Because Jonah needs transforming. Chapter 1, we saw last week, showed us that Jonah is the reluctant evangelist. He lived when Jeroboam II was king of Israel. The world's superpower at the time was Assyria, a wicked and cruel nation. But their years of oppression against Israel were temporarily on hold. 2 Kings 14.25, we looked at last week, tells us that the boundaries of Israel were increased at that time in accordance with the word of the Lord, 
the God of Israel, spoken through his servant, Jonah, son of Amittai. Jonah is a Hebrew hero. But in Jonah chapter 1, verse 2, the word of the Lord came to him again. The Lord told him to arise and go to preach in Nineveh. Well, Jonah arose and he ran the other way. Reluctant so far is a bit of an understatement. Long story short, the last time we saw him, he'd been thrown into the sea. Do you see that back in chapter 1, verse 15? Please have your Bibles open. Verse 16 is then just long enough for us to conclude that Jonah must be missing, but presumed dead. This morning we're beginning in verse 17, a verse that confirms our worst fears. Jonah has to be dead. Please read Jonah chapter 1 verse 17 again with me. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Three days and three nights, that's a Hebrew expression for death. It's as if we said, Jonah's six feet under. He's pushing up the daisies. It's something he's not coming back from. Three days and three nights inside a fish. Incidentally, we're not going to spend any more time thinking about the fish. What sort of fish people can live in is not a question that this passage intends to answer. We're just meant to see the severity of Jonah's situation. And then we read this at the start of chapter 2. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help and you listened to my cry. That's a summary of the whole rest of the chapter. Jonah calls out to the Lord, and the Lord answers him. Jonah's in danger, and he's saved. Jonah's dead, and he's amazingly brought back to life. This is a psalm, a prayer of thanksgiving for this incredible rescue, and it breaks down into the three parts. Firstly, Jonah tells us that he was deservedly dead. This first little section is like a slow motion tracking shot in a disaster movie set at sea. The camera just keeps following Jonah down. It's a mournful poem. Just listen to the, to the feelings and the emotions that Jonah is getting across to us. You threw me from the depths into the very heart of the sea. The water, it turns all about me. All of your billows, all of your waves, all of your breakers are over me. They all pass over me. And I, I said, I have been driven away from before your eyes. Surely I will never again look upon your holy temple. Water surround me, now it's up to my neck. The deep turns all about me. Seaweed is wrapped around my head. I'm going down to the base of the mountains. I'm going down to the bottom of the world. I'm going down. I couldn't go any further. I'm going down. The earth has shut its gates behind me forever. I was down. I was dead. 
Can you see the image that Jonah is painting? But Jonah isn't just saying that he was dead. He's saying that he was deservedly dead. We see that a couple of times in these verses. Can you see it in verse 3? You hurled me into the depths. Of course, we look back at Jonah chapter 1 verse 15, and we know that it was the sailors who actually physically threw Jonah into the sea. But Jonah admits here that he is being rightly punished by God. You hurled me into the depths. He says something similar at the end of that verse. All your waves and breakers swept over me. The Lord who is sovereign over all things, who hurled a storm. This is a punishment and judgment from God. And can you see at the start of verse 4? I have been banished from your sight. This is an exile from God's presence. Jonah, a prophet of the Lord, had refused to listen to God's word. He'd stuck his fingers in his ears and ran the other way. And this is punishment, judgment for doing so. Uh, Remember what Jonah had said to the sailors back in chapter 1, verse 12? I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Jonah knows that this is a punishment. He tells us here, poetically, that to all intents and purposes, he's dead. Deservedly dead. But secondly, Jonah tells us that he was undeservedly saved. Now, some of us this morning might know the book of Jonah really well. We may have read it many, many times. But sadly, that that could well dull us to much of what's going on here. At the start of the passage in verse 17, we read, the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. The Lord providing things for Jonah is going to be a key theme in chapter 4. Bear that in mind for a few weeks. But but we read fish, and our mind immediately jumps to the end of chapter 2. We see fish, and we think rescue. If this morning you're hearing this passage for the first time, then that's fantastic. Because you might be thinking what we should all be thinking. Is this whole fish swallowing Jonah thing a good thing or a bad thing? Because it's not clear. Is this a punishment? certainly looks like it. Or is it a rescue? We know the end of the chapter. Is this judgment or is it salvation? We need to remember that Jonah has been eaten by a fish. (laughs) Of course, though Jonah is being deservedly punished, he's also at the same time being given undeserved salvation through judgment. The turning point of this psalm is in the second half of verse 6. Can you see it? But, but you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. The pit, being lifted from the pit, is a rich biblical image. The pit is the place of destruction, of death, of judgment, of punishment. But it's also the place from which People are rescued and saved by the Lord. Think Joseph. Think the Psalms. And Jonah here says, Lord, my God. It was laughable when he said something similar back in Jonah chapter 1 verse 9. But back then it didn't very much look 
like the Lord was his God. He was running away from him. But here he is, saved by his God. And in verse 7, as Jonah is drifting in and out of consciousness, his life ebbing away, what he didn't believe possible back in verse 4 actually happens. His prayer rises to the Lord's holy temple and he's saved. Jonah was deservedly dead, but he has been amazingly and undeservingly saved. We've already been reminded uh, that we've seen some incredible turnarounds this week in the football world. David was happy about one of them. I was happy about one of the others. On Friday morning, we gave each other a big hug and then realized in a few weeks' time we're going to be enemies. And we're quite glad that we're going to be apart for a little while. (laughs) But Jonah here has personally received a turnaround, a salvation story of the highest order. And for those of us here this morning who are Christians, Jonah 2 reminds us that we too have been rescued, but that our rescue story is even greater than this rescue story of Jonah. In our sin, we rejected and disobeyed God's word and ran the other way. We went our own way. We deserved punishment and judgment. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, but we too have been rescued. We have received undeserved salvation by the work of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. And while there are many places in this chapter where Jonah's rescue reminds us of our own rescue, Jonah is also a shadow, a pale imitation pointing us to that work of the Lord Jesus. But because in order to undeservedly save us from death, Jesus had to undeservedly go through death for us. Jesus wasn't hurled into the depths of the sea. No, he was lifted high on a cross. Jesus didn't have seaweed wrapped around his head. No, a crown of thorns was thrust upon his brow. Jesus didn't receive an answer when he called out to his father. No, he was truly banished from the Lord's sight. When he cried out, my God, there was silence. Jesus didn't sink down to the bottom of the world. No, he descended into hell. Jesus wasn't nearly dead. No, he died. Jesus didn't spend three days and three nights in a fish. No, he spent three days and three nights in a tomb. And he then victoriously came back to life, winning the salvation of those who put their trust in him. Just like Jonah, our salvation comes through judgment. But our judgment has been taken by the Lord Jesus Christ. If this morning you're here and you don't know the Lord Jesus, if you have not come to him, if you've maybe been running from him and his word, then this morning he offers you a totally undeserved but totally full rescue. 
for those of us who are in Christ, we, like Jonah, deserve death. We must remember what our state was. But we, like Jonah, have received an undeserved salvation. But, but then the end of this chapter gets us to the reason that Jonah 2 is in this book. Because in this third section, Jonah reacts to his undeserved salvation from deserved death. This is what the passage is asking. What will Jonah's undeserved salvation from death cause him to do? Jonah was the reluctant evangelist who runs away. But then in this psalm, we're given an inside track into his mind as he contemplates his undeserved salvation. So what will he do? What will his reaction be? Will it transform him? Well, let me read verses 8 and 9. He's still in the fish at this moment. He's not actively reacting yet. But he tells us what he's going to do. Verse 8. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. Jonah deserved death, not deliverance. And yet he was undeservedly saved so that he couldn't do anything but recognize the greatness of the Lord's compassion, thank him for it, praise him, and recognize his reliance on the Lord alone. He's so thankful. Verse 8 indicates Jonah's salvation experience means that he now wants others, especially those who cling to worthless idols, to know just how misguided they are. There are many who don't know Jonah's God, many clinging to worthless idols, worthless in that those idols can't do for them what his God's done for him, rescue. There are many who need to hear of God's love for them. And in verse nine, Jonah's salvation leads to pure unbridled thanks. He praises God offers sacrifices and makes vows that he promises to fulfill. And then the psalm ends like this. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. Now look at that last line really closely. Jonah doesn't simply state salvation comes from the Lord. He does. But he says, I will say salvation comes from the Lord. He'll sing it high and low. This is his message. Wherever he goes, he won't be able to help it. He's now the purposeful prophet, the prepared preacher. Where are the people who don't know God's love? Let me speak to them. If somehow Jonah was at this point asked the same question that he was asked back in chapter 1 verse 2, what would his answer be? I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. What he knows for himself, what he's experienced, will be the song on his lips. A salvation experience like the one that Jonah 
has had would make anyone empathise with someone else in the same situation. You remember just last year in Thailand, uh, 12 members of a youth football team and their assistant coach were trapped in a cave for 18 days. Guess who got in touch? Super Mario! Of course he did. He himself had experienced what they were going through. He wanted them to receive the rescue that he had in that Chilean mine. This is what Mario said. Much strength to them. I'm going to see what's possible. I'm calling someone from the Chilean government to try to get some money together. I think it's important as a country for us to be there after what we went through. I myself, I would love to go. I would love even just to give them a hug. That thankfulness for what he's received, leading to wanting others to receive the same salvation, to to be rescued. It's how Jonah reacts. It's how Super Mario reacts. (laughs) And surely it's how we react, having ourselves received undeserved salvation, We all simply want to tell others about what we ourselves have experienced. We can't help ourselves. You couldn't stop us if you tried, could you? Well, maybe it was in the early days. Maybe it is some days. But I confess that that's not my experience every day. Sadly and wrongly, I'm still often like the Jonah chapter 1 Jonah. And there are hints here in Jonah chapter 2 that Jonah is perhaps still the Jonah chapter 1, Jonah 2. There's a real muddiness to this passage, which gives us the context for what is to come in the rest of the book. At this, the halfway stage of the story, everything's in the balance. We've seen what's happened so far, but there should be some hints, some flags, nothing explicit but ways in which the author wants to hint at what we've already seen and what we know of Jonah to make us ask, has this experience truly transformed him? Uh, You'll notice in Jonah chapter 2 that all through the passage there are loads of me's and my's and I's. It seems maybe self-absorbed. I mean, I guess he has personally been rescued, So maybe that shouldn't be a surprise. But has Jonah's attitude to others truly been transformed? Jonah seems to start with himself an awful lot. Look at it in verse 2. In my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. And again in verse 7. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord. Who's the hero? Is it the Lord? Or is it Jonah? Who acted first? Look again at Jonah verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 3. He's accepting here that God is deservedly judging him, but it also comes awfully close to sounding like he's blaming God for the situation that he's found himself in. We've read the whole chapter a couple of times now. Can you see any repentance? Can you see him say sorry? Verse 8 and 9, Jonah's reaction itself. I mean, Jonah's saying the right things. But please just look back at chapter 1, verse 16. Look there with me. What is it that the pagan sailors do? They offered a sacrifice to the Lord 
and made vows to him. Is Jonah having a dig at them here? Even in his reaction to his salvation? These pagans, these people who cling to worthless idols, they'll not last. They'll turn away from God's love. They're not like me, a Hebrew. Their sacrifices and vows, they're not like mine. I'll keep mine. I'll fulfill mine. I'll actually do what I've promised to do. It's not clear. It's muddy. The story could go either way. And then there's this abrupt ending to the first half of the book. In Jonah chapter 2 verse 10. And the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. There's a host of words the author could have used here. And the Lord commanded the fish and it took Jonah onto dry land. And it placed Jonah onto dry land. And the Lord commanded the fish and Jonah was saved. But the word used is vomited spewed. I don't want to make you feel queasy, but it's an evocative word. After Jonah's sublime psalm, all these wonderful words were left at the end of the chapter with Jonah sitting in fish vomit on a beach. Some rescue. One commentator wonders whether even the fish couldn't stomach Jonah's hypocritical words. Jonah 2 leaves us with this question. What will Jonah's rescue cause him to do? It's muddy. It's hinted at. It's not clear. What does Jonah's personal undeserved salvation from deserved death cause him to do? We'll come on to Jonah over the next few weeks. In the rest of the book, we'll see how he reacts. But the question remains for us. What does our personal, undeserved salvation from deserved death cause us to do? In light of what Christ has done for us, if you are in him, in light of our salvation, in thankfulness for all that Christ has done for us, from the only thing that could possibly transform us. What should we do? What will we do? Well, we should truly react with the words of Jonah chapter 2, verse 8 to 9. We should have an urgency for those who are clinging to what we know are worthless idols, to, to worthless things, when we have something of ultimate worth, we should cry for those who are turning away from God's love for them. We should be truly thankful to the Lord for our salvation with shouts of grateful praise. We should be willing to sacrifice and we should be ready to say at all times, in all places, to all people, salvation comes from the Lord. What might that look like? Well, it might look like getting to retirement age and deciding to sell your house, move away from your friends and your church family of hundreds of people to go to the Peak District, to join with a few others in Bakewell, a, a town where there are thousands of people who are currently turning away from God's love for them and going there not to eat Bakewell tart and not just to climb mountains, or I'm sure there'll be some of that, but because the Lord has laid on your heart, I will say... Salvation comes from the Lord.
Now, of course, that won't be all of our story. It can't be and it shouldn't be. But we all have family members. We all have friends. We all have work colleagues. We all have neighbours. People that we love and care for who are currently turning away from God's love for them, who are clinging to things to save them that we know can't save them. So for each of us, out of a heart of deep thanksgiving and gratitude for our undeserved rescue from from deserved death, we have to be telling people that our Lord can rescue them too, just like he's rescued us. God is speaking to us as a church at the minute. Uh, We've been reminded for the last couple of weeks of Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 to 20. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. With that being true, out of a heart of thankfulness for our undeserved salvation, let us truly say, those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Father, thank you for reminding us again of our our standing before you before our rescue, that we were dead. Father, we know that in our state, it was you who acted first. You reached down into the pit. You sent your son to the depths. Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus and for his work on the cross and for our undeserved salvation. Father, we ask that you would lift that high in our minds. And because of what you've done for us, Father, would you transform us? Would you change our hearts? Would we sing and shout grateful praise to you? And Father, would we not just say salvation comes from the Lord, but would we say, I will say salvation comes from the Lord? Father, change my heart, I ask. Speak to us all in your name. Amen.